welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. Developing a culture of inclusive leadership requires change. And inclusive leadership is also a powerful methodology to make change sustainable. This makes Nana Adwoa Boon's expertise in organizational change leadership particularly relevant. Her work with Milton Bennett's developmental model of intercultural sensitivity, the DMIS, and the Intercultural Development Inventory illustrate the stages of individual and organizational transformation she often helps bring about. Here is my conversation with Nana Adwoa Boon. So, Nana, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Um, and I'll ask you the same question that I ask everybody who, who I'm interviewing and, and uh, each of our, our faculty members, actually. So, what do you do? <laughs> well, thank you first for having me, Jorg. Um, and so, what I do, it's a little bit of a loaded question because I do a few different things. Um, but I really focus on organizational culture and helping leaders through any change management initiatives that will really impact the employee experience, but with the focus on, again, the culture for that organization. Um, more recently, I've really um, taken a deep dive into the space of group facilitation. So I partner with organizations and will deliver a workshop. So I like to call them experiences, really. So helping to facilitate experiences for groups of leaders and executives, and then in some cases also for their teams of individual contributors that focuses on leadership, inclusive leadership more specifically, as well as intentional inclusion. So surrounding the, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging space, but really with the keen focus on how the organizational culture is threaded throughout all of those efforts. And this is exactly why <laughs> it's so important that you contribute to what we do at the Inclusive Leadership Institute, because without attention to culture and change processes, right, we can't, we can't actually succeed in building cultures that are adaptable, that build diversity of, of all kinds, right, into the fabric of an organization. That's right. So when you when you focus on culture, what do you focus on actually? Because it can be this really amorphous word. <laughs> but what do you think about culture? Well, I'm glad you asked that because you're right. It it really has kind of morphed. I think in past years, culture has carried a connotation of you know what does our employee base look like? You know, we mentioned with diversity, diversity. There's so much more than meets the eye. So it's really helping leaders to balance the paradoxes between what they say they stand for within their organization and how that really manifests in terms of the employee experience and in cases where they're delivering products or services within the community, ensuring that your home base is reflective of the communities in which you serve. So in balancing those paradoxes, what truly are the values that help to stand up your organization? And what does that look like, not just from the leadership voice, but also from the way the employees experience 
working with your organization, and then the way that they also demonstrate it day-to-day in the work that they do. So that's really the focus. It's a keen focus on people, which is the heart of every organization. And that is what should really define the culture of the organization. Absolutely. And it's becoming even more important right now, right? But, but I'm just curious, do you have an example of a, of a, of a typical, I guess, cultural dilemma or the difference? I mean, I think what people say and what they do or what, what I sometimes call these say do gaps are so essential to close, right? And they're so detrimental to many organizations. That's right. So I can speak about one particular client. Obviously, I won't name the client, sure. but. In one client organization, you know, the the values within the organization are really centered around, um, you know, loving everyone, accepting everyone, and really wanting everyone to be authentically who they are. But the true and lived experience looks different for those employees because reflective of when you think about the home base of that organization, those who founded the organization and those who are still connected to those founders and who are at the senior or executive leadership level, their personal mantras and their personal values oftentimes bleed through when you talk about the leadership voice and the leadership presence. So you have employees who don't necessarily feel comfortable being who they are. So having the difference of thought, for example. So a lot of organizations will have the way that they're used to doing things, particularly if they're smaller organizations, right? And so when you're bringing in new new individuals, and you say that you you welcome their innovation and their growth mindset and thinking outside of the box. But then when they step into that environment, then they oftentimes feel othered if they don't go along in order to get along with everyone else. And so when you mm-hmm. introduce different ideas, when you really start to challenge the status quo, that's not necessarily accepted. Um, when you think about cultural diversity, for example... If someone is coming into an organization that has has historically been very homogenous from a cultural perspective, when you look around and people look the same, think the same, sound the same, and now you're stepping in and you look different, sound different, and say different things, then I'm seeing an example where those differences are not necessarily embraced or appreciated or even encouraged. Mm -hmm. And so in working with this particular organization, it's taking a step back and saying, let's let's put up the mirror and really understand how we perceive and experience and engage with difference and with others. And in recognizing first that people may have a default, right, of landing with the same things they've typically done and accepting the same things that they've typically encouraged, then it's it's giving them a moment of pause to say, let me be more introspective. And let me really understand the value that difference brings and let me position myself to be more open and receptive to those differences. Um, and so I, I know that that isn't as clear and specific as an example. I'm trying to be protective um, of the client's sure. identity, so getting more specific with, you know, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, kind yeah. of identify um, some things. But that's often what, what I see. So, so leaders will say, They want one thing and they'll say they want growth and innovation, but it can be difficult to break out of what's habit and habits do form very easily. You know, we're humans. It's human nature. And I find it even um, the difficulty starts in, you know, piercing through that belief system, right? I mean, because when you're dealing with leaders who believe that, you know, we are creating a great culture, we, everybody is, should be, I mean, 
oftentimes the equation of what should exist and what actually exists isn't even clearly in the consciousness of the leader very frequently. Very true. And have you found that as well? And, and, and how do you help leaders actually even just understand that? That's difficult. It is difficult. And, you know, um, what I found, too, is uh, so there's the, the tool, the IDI, which I'm sure you're, you're very familiar with. Mm-hmm. And the IDI tool has seemed to really help leaders, again, with that introspection and to recognize that they have a very clear idea in their mind of what is right and what is wrong. And without having that fluidity to say, you know what, perhaps there are other ways, right, of, of viewing things and of doing things recognizing that they are more regimented than they thought they were helps them to take that step back mm. to say, okay, well, what are some other ways that I can be more receptive to differences? What are some other ways that I can step out of my own perspective and start to view situations within my organization from the perspectives of others, from others' experiences and backgrounds? That tool has actually proved to be very valuable, along with obviously a little bit of care and feeding and and facilitating through the debrief of that and helping people to understand how they encounter difference along the way and helping them along that continuum towards less of the minimization and more of the acceptance. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know the tool, the the intercultural development inventory. That's right. You know, what what I like about it too is that it 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 kind of gives you two scores, right? Based on how you respond. It tells you this is how where you think you are, but then actually exactly. you're actually operating here. And just seeing this gap sometimes takes people aback. It does. It takes people aback. And you know, there's often a, a period of time in that process where we have to help people to even sit in the reality of their results before they can move beyond to now what, right? So we spend time with helping them to one, understand it's not about necessarily a right or wrong, a better than or less than, but it truly is understanding how you think you're showing up versus how you're likely showing up to people, similar to the intent versus impact conundrum, right? We all uh, understand there's our intent, and then there's our impact, but we have to own both. And so how do we close that gap between what we think we're doing and saying and how we feel we're impacting others versus how we're truly showing up in the world? But once we get through that initial hump, I find that that the IDI really is a valuable and helpful tool so that people can put some actionable steps in place to move along that continuum towards truly accepting difference and really being able to be more open to all of the value that comes from different perspectives and backgrounds and experiences. It's so, I mean, it's such an interesting journey that people take and that you help, you facilitate in a sense. How do you make sure that, I mean, I guess I'd have two questions, that they sustain the learning and, but also that they turn the learning, the added awareness into actual change, because, I mean, that's where we started. You help in the change management of sorts, which which also has That's that right. individual component, right? The individual and the organizational component. But what happens next? I mean, so so I'm becoming more aware of these gaps. And then what do I do with that awareness? Well, part of it is understanding where you want to be. So the IDI helps you to understand where you are. But then as leaders, where do you want to be? What do you truly want for your organization? And then what do you want your leadership voice and presence to be that helps to align to that future organization. 
And in doing that, understanding where they want to be, then that's where the change management comes into play. What initiatives can we put in place that will help you to travel along that journey to actually realize the future organization and future leadership presence that you really want to have? And so we'll talk through ways to achieve that from the employee experience, right? Things that are measurable. Again, if it's a product or services organization, then how are you showing up in the community and for your customer base? And how then can you change that? So hearing the voice or the voices rather of your employees, hearing the voices of your customer base through some of those engagement surveys, right? The satisfaction surveys, and then pinpointing those areas of opportunity where they can show up differently. We'll come up with plans. So here are the action plans. Here are the things that are tangible that you can truly do that, uh, that will lead to some marked improvements. And then in terms of the, of the sustaining of those changes, there's an opportunity to measure again, hearing the voices of the employees and the community or the customer base in another nine months, one year. But importantly, where it comes to the individual changes along that continuum with the IDI is them taking the IDI again. And it's typically recommended to wait one year, 18 months to see how you've made any progress along the continuum. And so that's something that I recommend to leaders alongside those action-based and goal-oriented changes that they'll put in place. Yeah. So in a sense, what you're doing is you're taking them, I mean, you're using this tool to take people into a reflective place yes. to reflect upon themselves, how they're showing up. And out of that reflection comes a change in listening, actually, right? Or maybe maybe even curiosity and and how people then engage with others. And that opens up then all kinds of um, different avenues towards changes, right? It does. And then you're reinforcing that by by remeasuring and kind of am I am I truly developing? Am I making making progress in a sense? That's right. You know, and along the way with that, too, what helps is, um, you know, they're individual leaders and then parts of those leadership teams taking them through their individual debriefs, but then bringing everyone together for a group debrief and aggregating their scores as a team, as a department, as an executive leadership cohort. And that helps them as well to, to brainstorm together on things that they can do together. So it's not siloed and isolated within certain teams or certain departments. But again, we're talking about holistic change for the organization. That's where you start to really balance those paradoxes between what the organization says it stands for versus what's actually manifesting in the employee experience day to day in the leadership presence. So once you can get everyone kind of on that same page, it helps again for the organization as a whole to grow and to progress along that continuum. Yeah, and I think it's so important to not forget. I mean, it's so so intriguing to do this work individually, right? But actually, culture is in groups, right? And in, right. in organizational constructs. So if we really want to make cultural change, we need to move as individuals together in in a social context, right? And so I hear you that that that's what you focus on in in your work very centrally. Yeah, it's an individual and collective journey for sure. So there's a commitment, right, that that each and every individual um, really should be anchored in. But then as, as a team, it really helps when everyone comes together, recognizing that everyone's at different points along that journey, right, especially when they are reflective and they're understanding 
their individual scores, their assessment results. And, uh, and what's really great about that is when they're coming together as a group, that's where they start to hear the additional perspectives, the different perspectives. So if I'm sitting in a place, for example, of polarization and not fully understanding why I'm showing up in that way, but I have a peer who maybe is already an adaptation and we're talking through different scenarios and we're looking at scores from an employee engagement survey and then being able to hear the way that I am actually interpreting and processing that information and certain scenarios within the organization helps each other, right? So it's kind of that peer support as well. Now, you do need to just briefly define what does it mean to be in polarization or adaptation, because no, not everybody listening will know this tool. So that, that's only why, why I'm asking. Sure. So along the continuum, um, there are five steps, if you will. And so the first step is denial. And denial is, is clearly saying that you are extremely clear in what you deem to be right and wrong based on your experiences, your background, your perception of the world. When you're in polarization, it's again, being clear in what you deem is right or wrong, but recognizing that when others may show up in a position or with a perspective that is opposite yours, then you're not necessarily as open to understanding those differences. It doesn't say that you can't have a relationship with that person. And that's why sometimes it's difficult for those who um, receive results that say that they are in a position of polarization, that they feel, well, no, I'm fine with everyone. So it's not saying that you are um, egregious in the way that you are engaging with others. It just says that you're very clear that where they may um sit in a situation or their opinion about a situation is different from yours and you're not necessarily open or receptive to even understanding or learning why they're in that position. Yeah, you, you apply a judgmental filter, right? Of sorts. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Now, when you are in minimization, that is really your way of uh, striving to connect with others by finding connection points. And so it's trying to bridge the gaps where differences are present, really trying to find the things that are more in common. So you're minimizing those differences. Again, not in a way to ostracize or other anyone, but it's really to say, for example, um, if someone says, oh, okay, so Hanukkah, that's just like my Christmas, right? That's the Jewish form of Christmas. And so it's trying to, to bridge the gaps and make connections, but also see where your perspective, your your living, your view of the world is is very much like someone else's, as opposed to truly appreciating the uniqueness and the in the individuality of those differences that are present across all individuals, including yourself. Mm. From there, it's acceptance, and acceptance is really about recognizing that those differences are present, and recognizing and understanding that those differences are present, and allowing those differences to exist happily. In other words, that you, you understand that Hanukkah is not like Christmas, <laughs> you know, in that, exactly. in that example. <laughs> it might be a holiday, but it's... That's exactly yeah. right. And then ultimately, um, at the far end of that spectrum or that continuum is adaptation. So adaptation is when you truly then can see the world, view situations, process information, not just from your own perspective, but through the lens of others' lived experiences and perspectives in the world. And so it's multidimensional for you. And that's when you're truly intercultural. So you're thinking about all cultures that are present. No one culture is better than the other. No one perspective 
is higher or lower than the other, but truly all can exist in harmony. And there's beauty and value in truly understanding all that the different perspectives can bring to the forefront, again, so that there's harmony present. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful journey, right? And like you, coming back to where we started, when we take it individually, it's life-changing. If we take it organizationally, yes. it just is, It it. I think it makes sometimes the, the diversity, equity, inclusion journey that can feel so big and sometimes very theoretical to people makes it very real. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. You know, one other thing that's really important is when leaders truly get to the place of not just sitting in the reality of their results, but making true commitments to wanting to balance again those paradoxes, it trickles down to that employee experience. Mm -hmm. The employee experience obviously, again, defines overall the, the culture of the organization, but also the success, the productivity, the growth, the innovation for the organization. So it's not just the right thing to do in terms of of engaging in a productive way with others, but it's also looking at the bottom line impacts. It's the discretionary effort that's given above and beyond what someone has been hired to come in and to do. It's the the feeling of satisfaction, getting up and coming to work every day and wanting to come to work. It's having that longevity where people have longer tenure with your organization because they're committed and they want to be there and be a part of the organization and they want to see the organization win. And so it really is full full circle all the way around. Um, it means success for the organization. Yeah. I know from experience that this is really great work, um, especially when, when you're successful at taking an entire system through this journey. It's very gratifying. I also know it's really hard work. You know, it's mm-hmm. because it takes a long time. Um, sometimes you work with people and... You know, you, 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 it's really meaningful work and it's working. And then the next thing you know, they are no longer in their role, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason. Yes. And so I get, I guess I have a couple of questions. Why, why do you do this work? What motivates you and how do you keep your motivation up? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mentioned before the heart of every organization is its people. And I love to see organizations win through their people. So, you know, we can work with systems, with processes, et cetera, but it's really seeing organizations win because the hearts and the minds of those organizations are cultivated for the better. That's what does my heart good. And so just by sheer nature of who I am, I'm a nurturer, right? So I step into a space and and I want to relate. I want to connect. I want to, to help nurture those who are in that space because you're right. It's, it's hard work. It's important work. And it's meaningful work. And so there's a gratification that comes from knowing that I can help impact an organization in a very meaningful way because it's starting with those individuals. So going through the IDI, for example, or going through a a marked change management journey that focuses on, again, the hearts, it goes beyond just the four walls of that organization. We're talking about impacting people in their personal lives as well. The way that they show up at home, the way that they show up in their communities with their friends, you know, with with their family members. So it's not just about work. And that's why I said, yes, it it does help the bottom line, but it's the right thing to do by people. Mm -hmm. And so this 
how I can can impact the world, really. You know, one heart at a time, one soul at a time. I love to see the epiphanies that people experience. You know, I learn every time I'm meeting people when I'm doing this work, I learn from from the experiences that I help to cultivate and facilitate with groups. And it's my hope and prayer that at the end of any engagement, that I have left a mark on their hearts, that I've left a mark on their souls, that they are impacted for the better and that they can carry on with those learnings throughout their lives. And so it helps to see when those organizations are seeing those improvements one year, 18 months down the line, and also putting some sustainability measures in place so they can continue to learn and grow yeah. from one another. So it's, it's not me handholding the entire time. It's me being able to let go and then them be able to continue to elevate. Yeah, that's a beautiful moment. It's also a beautiful motivation that you have. Is that, has that always been, I mean, is that something that, is there something in your upbringing, in your background that where you say, in hindsight, you know, I know why I'm doing this because, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I oftentimes look at my story and I say, oh, no wonder I ended up doing what I'm doing. So, you know, York, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I started out my career in IT and I did IT because my parents said either do systems, or do engineering, <laughs> be a lawyer or be a medical doctor. That's what you need to do for success, right? That's kind of a cultural thing for me because my family is is West African from Ghana. In my heart of hearts, I wanted to do psychology. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do because I thought about how exciting it was to understand people's minds and what motivates them and what really drives the way that they show up and then helping people with that. I started in IT. I was bored out of my mind and I realized <laughs> that I wasn't connecting with people so I was helping from a systems and process standpoint, but I wasn't seeing the improvement with people. Yeah. And so I transitioned from that into my first change management project, which was doing um, an enterprise HR and payroll system implementation focused on change, helping people to wrap their minds around these changes that were impacting their jobs, the way that they do work day to day, helping the leaders to truly give some care and feeding around that transition for their teams. And I started tapping into what really made sense for me, helping people, helping people in their roles and tapping into them and their employee experiences so they can be more committed to the work they're doing every day. So then the leader's goals and the organizational goals will be exceeded. That is, has obviously um, transitioned into this space of intentional inclusion from the leadership perspective all the way down and the culture itself for these organizations. And that that just does my heart good. So when I step into a room, when I step into a space, I feel alive when I'm doing this work. Yeah, I can yeah. tell. I mean, it, it shows, right? You know, what is interesting is <laughs> there's so many interesting things to what you just said. But I think when you discover that change is not in a system, right? It's people that have to make the change. And this is where we make terrible mistakes oftentimes, right? We invest. What do we invest in? We invest in the systems, the technology, all these kind of things. We don't invest enough in the people aspect and we don't take people along. And I've always felt that, um, I mean, I like the word inclusiveness over inclusion, but that inclusiveness itself is a change management strategy yes. or a change leadership strategy, if you will, right? That 
that without inclusiveness, any change is almost uh, doomed to fail, right? Or to be just imposed on people and they will reject it, right? And it's, it's, it's the, the element that many leaders don't pay enough attention to. You know, you're right. I, I have found um, over the past 20 plus years that change management is often the last thing to come in or the first thing to go. And it's oftentimes not until an initiative has failed, as you just described, that there's then this push for, oh my gosh, we have to have change management. It's so important to tap into people, our stakeholders, understanding mindsets before you even execute your changes, before you even plan through those system changes, the process changes that are taking place, thinking about those impacts. And you're right, leaders don't often do that. They don't do it enough. I do see a shift though. And, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, with all of the kind of injustice and unrest that has been happening across the world for the past few years, it's really bubbled to the surface where now we're thinking about people. Yes. Now people are are a significant priority where we're thinking through the lens of how are people impacted? How are they feeling? How are they experiencing these things first? And so I like that this shift is happening. Whatever the impetus may have been, I'm glad that the shift is happening. And I'm just hoping that people are continuing to lean their ear towards that going forward and that this doesn't end up being a fad that's lasted for five years and then it goes away. This really should be here to stay. It's it's important and it's meaningful. Yeah. And that's that's why I guess all of us do this work to some degree, right? That's because right. with that hope that that we we may be entering a human centric way of thinking about work, hopefully. You know. Mm-hmm. You you said something else. I just want to go back to this because it's interesting that you took this route. I mean, motivation interests me, right? And how people why people do what they do and how they end up doing what they're doing. So you really went against your parents, you know, that immigrant, you know, probably drive to say, you know, what, mm-hmm. you know, because oftentimes, especially with, I see this a lot with immigrant um, people who mm-hmm. say, you know, who want their children to succeed in, in career paths that, that have a certain degree of certainty around success, right? So that's right. Medical career or whatnot. And then <laughs> the disappointment that happens sometimes when, <laughs> when it doesn't turn out that way, right? I'm, That's right. I'm, are your parents okay with your choice now? <laughs> they are. And I think for them, um, it was seeing that I am stable in my life, right? Because again, it's what's tied to what they deem to be success. Um, and then recognizing, you know, well, she has her own business. So I have my own consulting firm, uh, Boone 5 Management, that I've had uh, for about 11, 12 years now, and seeing that and seeing that I'm successful in my own right and that I'm happy and I'm yes. enjoying my work. Uh, my mom often asks, you know, can I sit in on one of your workshops? I want to understand what you do. <laughs> that sounds so exciting. And so it, it definitely was a journey to get to this point. Um, and it took me a while to get away from IT since that's what my my degree was in from school yes. and the job that I had. Uh, so it took me some time to get here, but I fought for it. And I'm glad that I did um, because I'm truly operating now in my gifts. I believe I'm standing in my gifts and doing the work that I was truly gifted and, and 
uh, call to do. Yeah. It's powerful. Well, first yeah. of all, I'm I'm really happy you made that choice <laughs> because that's how we ended up working together as well. <laughs> and um, and it's such a powerful. I mean, I, that's why I, I think it's a, a powerful story to tell. How you know uplifting it is and liberating it is to actually do something you're passionate about and that fits who you are. Yes. Right. And and that you know that. It may not be what our parents kind of would want us to do. I mean, my own career path is 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 like that too, where I had to disappoint my parents terribly, and and you know, I think that can be a really really tough cultural departure, right, from our parents in generationally, yeah. you know, depending on on what our background is. That's right, and I'm the eldest of four as well, so. Um, in West African culture, being that firstborn carries a lot of responsibility and high expectations. So I, I definitely had a journey to travel. I hope your siblings yeah. are happy with your choice as well, because you paved they the are. way, probably. <laughs> yeah, they all said that I paved the way and I went through the fire for them. So yes, there <laughs> you're <go>. indebted. To- <laughs> well, now you have leverage with them. <laughs> For doing That's right, that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's great. So out of all your learning, and I think it's it's phenomenal, I, what excites me, especially if I am like thinking about what we do at the Inclusive Leadership Institute for a moment, but it, it's precisely broadening people's understanding of inclusive leadership, actually, because, and through your experience, what what I want to emphasize is how inclusive leadership is a change management strategy. It's a method. Yes. Right? It's a method for changing that makes change sustainable and keeps organizations and individuals agile, responsive, um, all the kind of things that organizations are looking for now and, and in an environment that is more global, that it puts a primer on innovation and innovative solutions and and where we just cannot no longer take our success for granted. And um, and it's so important to leverage inclusive leadership from that angle. Yes, it is. You know, what I love is that um, when working with leaders, we and we're talking about how they're anchoring in the commitment and going forward, one thing that that always holds true is my encouragement for them to be not just open and honest in where they are, but to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And and I tell them all the time, there's strength in leadership when vulnerability is present. As leaders, we're still human. And having our employees see the human side of us, see us be open and, and reflective and introspective and willing to learn and willing to grow, that sends such a huge hugely important message of empathy that says you are not alone for the employees. Yes. I can meet you where you are. And if I'm not there yet, I will get there. I'm learning. And it's it's being open and willing to learn that makes the huge difference. So if nothing else, I want leaders to always hear that message and understand that you're human still and it's okay. You don't have to have all of the answers. You don't have to be perfect. And and recognizing and showing that you are not perfect and that you can be vulnerable is what shows the most strength in your leadership. It's powerful learning. It's very difficult for some 
<laughs> you know, for many, I should it say, is. you know, yeah. That's right. Most leaders think that they have to have it all buttoned up and they have to have all of the answers and giving them permission to give themselves grace is I think what helps them to then be open and receptive to learning those lessons and to learning and growing. And that that's so important. Yeah, it's such an important reminder that people, I like this, give yourself grace, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. we forget about yeah. that. We forget about ourselves too. Yeah. So out of, is that, I mean, I, the, my last question is always, what, what, what have you been some, you know, I guess, actionable insights from your career, from your work, from your learning that anybody who's listening could easily apply? Now, the easy, now when I think about giving yourself grace, we could all apply that. I don't think it's easy for many. So that may not meet that criteria. But are there some other things where you would say, you know what, if people just just did this little thing or, or, or so, things would be better. They can improve things for themselves. Yep. Um, the power of pause. Mm. So when facing a situation or a scenario, pause. Pause to consider before taking action, speaking words, or making gestures. Pause to, to ask yourself, is my intent going to match my impact? It's simple sounding, but it, it's so important because when you pause and you ask yourself, how is this going to land? You can oftentimes recalibrate very quickly so that damage is not done. Always be willing to be introspective and reflective because that's where there's opportunity for growth. When you're honest with yourself about who you are and where you are, then you can meet others where they are. Understand yourself so you can understand others better. That's good advice. <laughs> Powerful advice. I will try it out. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for having this conversation. And I couldn't be happier to, to have you part of our faculty. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to be a part. You know, I've known you for some years now and and it's a pleasure to be connected to anything that you're doing. And, and absolutely, and when we think about inclusive leadership and really helping to spread that message and, and help cultivate those experiences so leaders can can be anchored in that commitment, it, it helps. It helps everyone. Everyone wins. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so thank you, Nana. Thank you, York. <laughs> thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com. Thank you.